0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm really excited to announce our last, but absolutely not the least, keynote speakers, uh, Roger Ping and Hilary Parker, the hosts of uh, Not-So-Standard Deviations. If you've never heard of it before, really fantastic podcast. Uh, they've never invited me to be a guest speaker, but <laughs> fortunately, I'm not bitter about that at all. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I'm very long-term f- uh, fans of Roger and Hillary. Uh, Roger has been a very uh, a supporter of the Tidyverse, really, before it was the Tidyverse and I think his USAR 2018 keynote does a better job of kind of articulating the philosophy and the benefits of the Tidyverse than I've ever managed. I'm also very fortunate to call uh, Hilary uh, a friend. Uh, Hilary is a, f- a fantastic data scientist. I've had a number of really insightful conversations with her. One recent one which led me to really understand like one of the things that I do is design. But as well as being a data scientist at uh, Stitch Fix, Hillary, I'm also very lucky that Hillary is, has acted as my stylist, and she actually just picked out the clothes I'm wearing today. <laughs> so I'd like you to please join me in welcoming uh, Hillary and Roger.
1: Okay, so you're going to get a little behind-the-scenes action here, because (laughs) uh, the listeners of our show don't see this, but we have to do this every time. You know, when you're dealing in a high-stakes situation like this, safety comes first. Yeah. So um, we have a checklist that we go through every time, so uh, we're going to go through the checklist. Uh okay, Hillary hardwired. Yeah. I guess we don't really need that. <laughs> VPN turned off.
2: Yeah. My work VPN yeah. causes problems with our A number connections.
1: Of yes. Wi Fi turned off. Oh we don't need oh actually I haven't turned off my Wi Fi. <laughs> okay. Uh Reboot your router.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost always my internet is the yeah, issue. It's easier, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, verify microphone. I think the people in the back, they seem to know what they're doing. Um, verify recording. We are recording. Um, all right. Hardwired. I'm not recording today. How's uh, was being written? I'm not doing that. We did
2: once do a whole podcast episode where we did not record. That's right. Yeah. So once that happened, like, never again. Guess how that
1: made it onto the checklist.
2: Yeah. (laughs) We did a blameless postmortem.
1: Levels seem to be okay. Yeah. All right. And it is close to five o'clock. Yeah. So. um, Verify that my cat's been fed. You fed fed. your cat. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she does. Like from four to five, she starts to interrupt things. That was more of an issue in, when you were in Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So. Um, so, all right. So I think we're go for lunch.
2: Yeah. All go right. For so,
1: uh, welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 100. Ooh. Uh, I'm Roger Pang from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hilary Parker of Stitch Fix. Um, this, <laughs> so this episode is our first ever live episode. Yeah. Um, it's, I guess, ironically, not going to be about our or our studio. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's possible we showed up at the wrong conference. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, think, I hope you'll enjoy it. I think it'll be fun. So. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, We also did some prep, like (laughs) unusually. Uh, Usually we kind of show up and call each other and say, I was thinking about talking about this. And so this time we actually have some materials. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: All right. So I thought there are probably a few people in the audience who haven't heard of or heard our podcast. So I thought we thought we'd just talk a little bit about kind of why we're here, what we're doing, why we're doing this. Um and uh so I guess this started in twenty fifteen, right after the R OpenSci uh unconference here in San Francisco, um where Hillary and I kind of caught up uh and I sent her an email. I said, Hey, uh I think the subject of the email was I want to broadcast your opinions to the world. Yeah. Um <laughs> because you know Hillary has a few opinions. <laughs> And I thought, there's there's nothing the internet likes more than a strongly opinionated person, right? (laughs) So um, I sent her an email. said, hey, I think we could do a data science podcast. I don't think there's exactly what I'm thinking about out there already in terms of other data science podcasts. Um, And so, you know, do you want to do it? And uh, so she got back to me. She said, yes. And I sent her a wall of text email saying, here's what I think we should do. (laughs) And then there was no response. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then...
2: A week later I apologized a lot. Yes. And it was true that my boss quit that week. So yes. there was like some reason, but yeah. It was mostly the wall of text. But, yeah. so, but yes. And then we just went for it.
1: Yeah, for so five years and so or almost five years, that's just Yeah. Um so ninety nine episodes. Yeah. And so here we are. So we've been talking about a lot of things. Um and one of the things that, uh, over the past five years and one of the things that we realized as we we're preparing well for this keynote is that we have like a record of everything we've said.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So. so I wanted to make sure there was a visual impact here, but um, I actually printed out the transcripts <laughs> of every episode <laughs> and leaf through them um, because... It's kind of rare that you have the ability to see what you were thinking over a period of time like this, aside from kind of like a personal journal, yeah. which I have joked that the podcast is a little bit of like a personal journal, but, um, but yeah, so we wanted to look back and see what themes were coming up and, you know, we kind of, we never set out with an agenda for this, although I kind of thought you did at first, but, um, but we just wanted to chat, and then what was surprising was that we actually got some places during these chats. And so part of the, the reason I wanted to look back through these transcripts was to see how thoughts evolved over time.
1: So just before we move on to the next thing, I sort of mentioned, you know, as we were kind of leading up to this keynote, uh, You know, they asked us to do this a while back, you know, and we saw kind of who else was going up. You know, so I mean, I think, so for example, JJ's keynote yeah. Uh, yesterday was you know was amazing. Yeah. Um. And a lot. Uh, and you know, maybe coincidentally or not, touched on <laughs> a lot of themes that we had been discussing in terms of open source and. Yeah. Uh, and um. And for those of you who are wondering, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, here. we're not
2: going to talk about open source at all. So, so even though our episodes have been leading up to that, and again, we like. May have had some information there uh, that emboldened those conversations. but um, Look out
1: for episode 101. Yeah,
2: episode 101. We'll get back on track with that. But um, yeah, I was, we wanted to touch on those. The keynotes have been awesome so far. Right. Uh, and especially, I mean, JJ's was really good. And we were joking about the fact that uh didn't realize what a nerd he was. <laughs> <laughs> or what like a policy nerd yeah. he was. <laughs> I,
1: I told so. him it, it warmed my heart when he brought up the case history of the Delaware Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, right. you know, nothing more riveting <laughs> <Yeah>. than <laughs> nothing more riveting than a little bit of corporate case law, you know. <laughs> exactly.
2: So. But and it's just so lucky that someone who like had so much interest in public policy but then became like a highly productive coder for yeah. many years and then like circled back and brought them together like it, it's unusual so <laughs> um and then yeah the uh the second keynote with all that data visualization like really spoke to me um, cuz at Stitch Fix I work a lot with outfit data there's a lot of imagery and fashion right and so um I was really inspired by that, about like, different ways to visualize the data. Um, and actually, JJ also was talking about this, like, um the book was called uh, Shop Class as Soulcraft, mm-hmm. and, like, this idea of, like, touching the data and, like, making the data yourself. And looking through this transcript, actually, you had mentioned um, Scott Zieger talking about, like, writing the data down mm-hmm. by hand. And so I just, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And That actually you- comes
1: from uh, John Tukey, who talks about scratching the numbers down.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. There
1: yeah.
2: you go. Know. So I have um, to say,
1: when I we saw that the two people, uh, the, the two people from Google were going to talk in the keynote, we didn't know what it was going to be, but I was like, oh, that one's going to be good, actually.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> <Yeah. know>? So <laughs> they're going to be what like very polished, be? very prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, let's do the opposite. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs>
1: run in the opposite direction of whatever they do. Yeah.
2: yeah, that was where the idea of the live episode came yeah. from. Yeah.
1: Like... and then Jenny's talk was great too. Yeah. Um, I was, she always has an amazing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She, she has an incredible ability to just kind of see that higher level of stuff after having been in the trenches for so long.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. like, going into the detail and understanding the nitty-gritty, but then being able to zoom out and, like, create the paradigm for it. Yeah. It's, like, not easy, so... Yeah. Good work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too comfortable, though. Yeah. Um,
2: no, but I feel like this conference has been awesome, and we have, like... We have fodder for, like, many episodes. Yes. Like, going, following up on this yeah. stuff, so... It's such um, a great vibe. Um, <laughs> this is your first.
1: This is R- my first RStudio yeah. comp. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. So
2: um,
1: so cool. we went through the... So one of the ideas that we had for this keynote was to kind of go through our thought process for the last five years, mm-hmm. and which has made a lot easier by looking at the transcripts, listening to the audio, hearing what we've been talking about. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things, as we did that in preparation, um, it, we noticed a number of kind of interesting moments, of course, and kind of re- recurring themes. Yeah. Um... One of, the, one of the interesting moments that we had, actually early on in the podcast, was our first and only really kind of use of profanity, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, maybe I just want to ask, maybe do a quick poll. Who thinks it was me, and who thinks it was Hillary? Who thinks <laughs> it was Hillary? Wow. Who thinks it was me? About 50-50. All right, let yeah. me play this, uh, this clip.
0: When people use spreadsheet sheets,
2: they're trying to avoid, like, syntax bullshittery and yeah. data structure bullshittery. Because we have a lot of that in any scripted language where you have to know a fair amount of syntax and get fairly facile with data structures.
1: Thank you, Jenny Bryan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was a really popular episode. It was. It yeah. was, like, super early days, and Jenny was defending spreadsheets essentially or like, like, uh, cl- like talking about having empathy with
1: explaining the attraction of spreadsheets yeah I think. yeah, yeah. Uh, another theme one of the most controversial things I think we've ever discussed on the podcast um, involves this topic here and you're I want to
2: point out that you got an oatmeal raisin cookie what is the problem <laughs>
1: you're like the 10th person who's like who's called me out on that
2: they're terrible like why does anyone choose a, this
1: they're delicious
2: <laughs> no All right.
1: Between okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to enjoy them in private. One day. <laughs>
2: that's yeah, as you should.
1: That, that's like a dagger in the heart, yeah. As you should, yeah. Oatmeal cookies to this day get us a lot of feedback, yeah. And um, terrible. Um, and apparently, there's a, a lot a whole a huge plate of them outside, you know, ready for, ready for me to eat. <laughs> <laughs> It's just no one else watches.
2: I also love that episode. We literally recorded in a Jimmy John's. <laughs>
1: That's right.
2: Like that was, we like met. I was in town for my brother's wedding, yep. and we like met in the middle between DC. My brother lives in DC, and we met in the middle between DC and Baltimore, like at a Jimmy John's, That's and right. recorded it. And you ordered an oatmeal raisin. Right That's party. right. Yeah. Yes.
1: And hence the interesting soundtrack in the. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other kind of. One recurring theme that we have has played out over multiple episodes is Hillary trying to get me to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so one of those things is uh, getting Netflix, apparently. Yeah. So My only problem, actually, is that I don't, have, uh, I don't have Netflix.
2: Oh, come on. You can shell out. For, uh, like- like, it's, like, it's like $8 a month, Roger. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, episode that's three. Episode three.
1: Yeah. Episode 28. Oh, the other piece of news that's really important is that I finally got Netflix.
2: Uh, and 28 is like a year later, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Almost. Yeah, because yeah.
2: we do once every two months, so yeah. it took you a two while. Weeks, yeah. Yeah. Oh, two weeks, yeah. Yeah, once every two weeks. So. Uh,
1: episode 36.
2: So if you have access to HBO, highly yeah. recommend.
1: Oh, HBO. Okay. Now you, You're like, I have to buy another service?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I bought Netflix for you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry. Yeah, this one's an HBO exclusive. Yeah.
1: All right. It's 1499 a month. <laughs> I'll dispute the cost. So we went from eight to fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. I just kinda wonder what I'm gonna have to pay next. And then episode seventy. Yeah.
2: Are they on Netflix?
1: Uh I would assume so. I don't know. Who knows what's on Netflix these days? <laughs> so apparently I wasn't really watching it.
2: Yeah. No. <laughs> like okay, so this is I have some follow up, which is that So I have some notes here. Episode six, you say, I love movies. Okay. Episode 13, you say, I'm a film nerd. And then, uh, like, many times, you talked about this script book thing, which was, like, predicting whether a movie would be successful based on its script. Right. Like, al- like algorithms for doing that. And then, Walt Hickey came on, and you, like, read his blog post about, like, books versus movies, and you know about Steven Spielberg table reads? Yeah. I want to, I feel like I want the visual of, like, handing you, <laughs> like, like, here's all the times you've talked about Whoa. movies, but, like, do you not watch movies? Like, how does this work? <laughs> Like, are you just interested in movies, like, intellectually, and never watch them?
1: I just, I infer their content.
2: <laughs> no, but, I, like, I really want the answer here. Like, do you watch Netflix?
1: This isn't an act. This isn't yeah, an no. Act. Um, you know, things have slowed down in terms of my movie-watching activity.
2: But you enjoy, like, the craft.
1: I do. Yeah, yeah.
2: so, okay. So that, <laughs> That's just weird. I just want you
1: to know that. So noted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway,
2: the transcripts like really brought that home for me because yeah. I uh, I had never like put those together. And I didn't realize you said early on that you were a film nerd. You're like, I love living in LA or you lived in LA in, in yeah. grad school. So. Yeah. Anyway, so those were kind of like our fun uh, going back and recurring themes. But what we really wanted to talk about was this kind of overarching theme that actually Hadley kind of uh, alluded to, which is the idea of uh, the role of design and data science. And um, we one, this was something we chewed on for so long of essentially like how do you do data analysis? Um, and one thing that really struck me looking at it was that literally in episode one, We talk about it a lot, and actually, for a long time, I thought that this was why you wanted to do the podcast. (laughs) It was like to solve this problem.
1: I had no agenda, (laughs) and uh, it is yeah, it is surprising to look at that first transcript to see how many plant seeds were planted.
2: Exactly, like we actually talked about. We we hit words and themes that were like were kind of where we got to but I don't think we had a way of recognizing that those were going to be important at the time so we have three clips yeah. from episode one just to be
1: clear we started this episode talking about our cat ladies yeah that's right so <laughs> agenda was not super strong yeah, yeah. and yeah. our
2: cat lady this is like a little dated at this point but it was like this hashtag for like seeing your cat on your keyboard while you're writing R. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. And the, anyway.
1: Yeah. So anyway, this is from the first episode. We have this habit of like telling people, like giving people a bunch of choices, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you could do this, you could do that, you could do regression, you could do smoother, you could do, you know, whatever. Just pick, there's like five different models that you could <laughs> or strategies <laughs> that you could implement. Uh, but we often don't like tell people how to choose between those. Yeah. Times of definitely. things, you know, like, like, that's almost like, it's almost like we explicitly d- don't do it. <laughs> the recording quality in the early days was... I know. You can really
2: tell good. from these clips the variance in my recording quality, <laughs> yeah. like, personally. So. But, um, let me just put these down. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so you had, to set that clip up a little bit more... You'd like had an experience teaching a stat class, right. where at the end, someone essentially said to you, like, as a statistician, you, I think you did a good job of telling me things to do, and you told me things, definitely things not to do, uh, but now how do I know what to do? Right. Yeah. Basically,
1: like, thanks for teaching me all this stuff. I still don't know anything.
2: Yeah. I no. still know nothing, and I In still fact- know like, You sent me down with a data set. I don't know like, how to proceed.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. This, person, and this person got an A in the class, this is, yeah. know, by far and away.
2: And, and my favorite part about that, too, is that you kind of set it up as, like, you, like, you were like, good point, and it was the second to last lecture, right. so you, like, go to your office and, like, sit down yeah. and try to, like, write it out, like, okay, here's what to do.
1: Here's what data analysis is in one lecture.
2: Yeah, like, here's um, how to craft the perfect analysis. Yeah, it didn't Done. work. Yeah. It <laughs>
1: didn't work. Uh, I, can't, I think I came away with a few bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I had a lot more thinking to do, apparently. That was about, I guess, 10 years ago now.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so the second one, second clip So I was thinking when you were saying that is that, like, part of a successful data analysis is convincing someone of something, and that's, like, that is inherently, like, a one-on-one process. Yeah. 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 So we touched on, like, this... Like, what does success look like? Right. Yeah, like, that was kind of what this woman was getting at. It's like, okay, I have to do something. I have to accomplish something. Like, what is that thing? And how do I decide how to do it? Right. Yeah. yeah. And we don't, we don't touch the how to decide at all, but at least we started to, like, circle around what does it look like to, to do this thing that we talk about that this whole conference is and about. And
1: recognizing that human beings are involved. Yeah,
2: and yes. humans are involved. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's to lead into the right. third clip
1: i think it 's this human element that that you know that is missing I think from a lot of kind of talk about data analysis
2: it 's hard, and actually that gets into like the next topic of kind of like who 's building successful tools, and I think it has yeah. a lot to do with like people who genuinely have empathy with the user, yeah, so that was empathy, I feel like it was a little, but um, yeah, like these were. Again, kind of things we threw out and didn't think about for a long time, but ended up being central themes to what we were talking about later. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... That's episode one. Yeah, episode one. Covered that. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. So... Like Throughout, so we kind of have this like timeline of what this looks like, like evolving over time, and one of the things, and again, this was like four and a half years ago, I was still working at Etsy, and Etsy had um, this kind of amazing devops team um, and so for those of you who don 't know, DevOps stands for developer operator and it 's this it 's this field where um, essentially it was like kind of taking IT to the next level, so it was the same, the people who run the website, the people who keep the servers on for the website, the people who do everything to kind of keep this, you know, shopping website up, they should also be the people developing the tools to keep the website up. Um, and so it's like developer operator. And, um, and at Google they kind of have a different word for it, site, reliable, site reliability engineer, but it's the same thing. And um, I was really inspired by that work um, and kind of how they approach problems. One of the central tenets was this idea of a blameless postmortem, where if you ran into a problem, like let's say your system failed and the website went down, um, there there is a a human tendency to like blame the person who wrote the code that failed or whatever. But Etsy focused a lot on instead doing this thing called a blameless postmortem, where you talk about um, like you you frame the problem as though the system failed that operator rather than the operator failing within a good system. And then that opens up the conversation to like to talk about iterating on the system and saying, you know, okay, this person went to work this day, said they wanted to do a good job. They did not say they wanted to take down the website, but then the system like allowed them to take down the website. Um, and so like based on this kind of, idea of, like, how do we know what to do? There were sort of these two threads that started. One was, how do we decide, like, how to build the artifact? Like, the dashboard or the email or the report, whatever. And then there was this kind of, like, how do you build a narrative? Um, And so, I think, like, the theme of the early part of the podcast, really for the first year, was focused on that artifact question of, like, how do you build a system that doesn't fail you? Um, How do you, like decide what to do in order to um, make an analysis happen that works for you. And I, w- I was really energized by like connecting these two things and being like, well, the way we can talk about it as a, c- as a community is building systems that help you avoid errors and articulating what those errors are, putting costs with those errors, um, and then making design decisions for your system around that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the struggle that we had was... In terms of kind of identifying the constraints and identifying the frame, you know, the frame, kind of the framing of this problem. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, it's just, it's so open. It yeah,
2: and yeah. like if you don't define this problem that way, um, from like kind of more first principles, you end up in these like nasty language wars, yeah. or you get people who are just saying like you should use it, you should use knitter and like, and you don't talk about why, mm-hmm. and it's like okay. When is it appropriate to use an editor? If you want to avoid these types of errors, like you don't want to update your data but have your report be stale, you know? Like that's a huge one. And so being able to talk about the system that way, I think, was an important part of this kind of like thread of thought. Um, And so again, we kind of like separated out that, and I personally focus on that a lot. I mean, we both did, but I think I like. That was in my head because of Etsy so much. And then by doing that, we kind of like, I kind of purposely like siphoned off the narrative building. And I was like, I don't want to talk about that. That seems really hard. Um, But then I feel like you ran with that a little bit.
1: First, First, you moved to San Francisco. First, yeah. So
2: I quit Etsy, uh, and I moved to San Francisco. And just as kind of si- a side, we do this, um, in the old days, we did this free advertising. And so one thing that happened in episode 22 was that I talked about a meditation class I was taking. So yeah. hit the clip. This is my very San Francisco free advertising where I'm taking a meditation class that I've oh. really enjoyed. <laughs> oh. And so it's this program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Um, okay. And it's, it's like a whole thing. There's a Wikipedia.
1: It's a whole <laughs> that's thing. A, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so, again, that's just kind of like a thing that popped up. Uh, didn't seem related at all, but um, ended up folding in later. So it just kind of like planting that seed now yeah. <laughs> so anyway like i was saying we kind of we kind of like siphoned off the 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 system design which i think is a big part of like this conference and other our conferences of like how do you do that how do you do that in a way that is like user-friendly what types of tools enable you to do that um but then that left this huge like how do you convince someone of something Mm -hmm. essentially um and so you started to think about that a lot and you had a really interesting episode um where you were like preparing for a talk
1: i had to give a, a lecture i got promoted to all the all the full professors that get promoted at hopkins give a lecture and um, I had to give a talk, and I, wa- and I wanted to kind of... I just wanted to play some music in the talk. And so I had to kind of figure out some theoretical framework for like, me being able to put audio clips into the, into the lecture. <laughs> so I guess that's... I mean, it's a reasonable motivation.
2: That's right. And another professor had, like... His entire lecture... He was a biostatistics professor. Yeah. And his entire lecture was, like, talking about, like, a Wagner opera. Right. Ingo yeah. Ruzinski. Anyway. Like, no stats. Anyway. Yeah. So like, you had to, like...
1: So I, I started thinking about, you know, I, I've, I've had a long history of music. I've played the violin for now, however old I am, 30-some years. Or That's not how old I am, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how long I've been playing. Um, and, you know, I've studied music theory. I've done a lot of that kind of uh, work. And um, I, I just started thinking that there, there kind of were some connections between kind of what we do as data analysts and kind of how we think about music. Uh, and this is just uh, a little bit of kind of what we talked about in that episode. Oops. Yeah. The more I thought about it, the more I felt like um, there were kind of connections between what we do in data analysis, what, what, not what we do, what we need in data analysis and, um, and kind of music theory, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so the basic idea is that you know, music is, very, is considered to be a very kind of subjective area, like you know, um, in terms of like, what you think is good and what you think is not good, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that said, most of us have a sense of like, what sounds good and what doesn't sound good, Right, and I think I talked a lot about you know, like there is a theory of harmony, there is a theory of melody, there is a th- you know in terms of how to construct certain things, and it does, and those rules don't produce you know the best music, but they do allow us to describe and to kind of um, summarize what it is that seem, that people seem to like about music, and it's not a, an absolute you know theory. It's it's very kind of based in culture and based in kind of uh, you know your, in people's kind of collective ideas, but. Uh, there is a theoretical structure there. Yeah.
2: And there's some, like, science to it, right? I mean, there's there's literally, like, wave properties.
1: There is a little physics involved, yes. Yeah. yeah,
2: and then there's kind of, like, a psychology or something, you know, like the, like, wanting to hear chords resolved, for example. Like,
1: yeah.
2: I'm not totally sure what, I don't know, I mean, I feel like I'm, like, I'm, like, Continue the thought, please.
1: So I got very deep in the weeds of this, reading <laughs> Arnold Schoenberg's Harmon Aliar," and you know the way he summarizes it, I think, in in the best in the sense that the theory doesn't say what's right. The, th- the theory says what's commonly done. Okay. Um, yeah. And and so the idea that the you know the five chord resolves to the one chord, that's not because it's right. It's just because that's what it seems to be what everyone does, and it seems to be kind of uh you know not too bad of an idea yeah um but if you don't resolve the five chord to the one chord it's not like a theoretical violation
2: i'm just laughing because Uh (laughs) well i'm just thinking about that second lecture uh or the second keynote where he got like really defensive about pie charts and i think that's exactly it's like it's what people are doing like you can't argue with that it is commonly done yeah and so and it seems to work for (laughs) I'm with him, like, we're, for we're gonna, certain things. This is
1: what happens at our podcast. Yeah. We get sidetracked. We get sidetracked. And then, like, two hours later, we end. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I'm just trying to illustrate that you were right. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so, okay. During this episode, too, uh I sort of bring up where my mind had been going, because so at this point I would moved to Stitch Fix and I had some like, really amazing people I worked with in the product org who allowed me to participate more in product design. Um, one of the things was doing a design sprint, um, which was kind of a whole thing, but essentially like, I could see how design was working more closely, um, and so hit the clip. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because I was concurrently thinking about this, too, in terms of designers who I think actually have a very similar, like, their place in an organization is very similar to a data. Like, they're usually kind of a cross-functional team, um, like, horizontally integrated. And then you also have, um, like, it's very problem-solving focused. It's very focused on, um, like, the. it's similar to, like, the consulting model, Um But I think that they're more willing to talk about that connection. Like, design is about the user and designing for a team. Like, I feel like when you look at design conferences, it's a lot more focused on that. Um, But then also their products are on display. So I think that, like, sharing what people are doing is is easier because you literally see, you know, design elements on websites when you go to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about design at the same, thing you're, same time you were thinking about music theory. Yeah. Um, I think
1: we thought we were talking about different things.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like two different ways of approaching this yeah. problem. Um, so kind of in the middle here, you know, I, talk, I brought up like, like getting into meditation more. And then I essentially like, in the middle of all this, so I'm kind of reading about design, and one thing you see when you start to look into design more is they talk so much about empathy, um, empathy for the users, and, like, um, like that's, that's, like, something that is just, like, an accepted fact about working in that field. Um, and so, at the same time, I'm, like, getting more into meditation, I'm reading more kind of, um, like... Connections between neuroscience and meditation, and so um, I read this like really dense Atlantic article, um, where it's a discussion between a neuroscientist and a Buddhist um, monk, and they're talking kind of about like um, experiences. And so, um, yep. why don't you like?
1: Just to be clear, this episode, I read the transcript again. I'm still not sure I understand
0: like what, <laughs> what I was we were talking about. Yeah. But
2: data analysis to influence decision making has to span both like the world where third person perspective and kind of this like scientific truth world is. And then also that like first person eliciting belief (laughs) in another human when you can't really observe what will make that person start to believe your results. And so, or like trust it. So anyway, I just, I thought it added clear to me, it added some clarity of like, how the complexity of what we do. Yeah. So to set that up, the idea was essentially that like neuroscientists, they can study, in this case, they're talking about studying people who are meditated and like you can't exactly like, Empirically observe, like, someone's in a meditative state, right? Like, you can measure their brain waves and stuff, but ultimately, you have to rely on the person telling you that they're in that state. So, you can, like, correlate the brain waves with them having that state. And so, to me, it was, like, kind of similar where, in order for an analysis to be successful, someone has to be, like, I get it now, you know?
1: Yeah, they have to tell you it's Yeah, they
2: have to tell you that they get it, and you can't observe it. Like, you can, I mean, you can obviously see their face change or whatever, but, like, it's, they're having, like, a first-person experience. And so I was just, like, teasing apart, like, oh, yeah, you have to, like, use scientific methods and be in this world of science, but then also you have to, like, tap into this kind of, like, deeply empathetic thing of seeing where their mind is. And that's hard. <laughs> I think I get it now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good. <laughs> Do we have other clips from this episode? I don't think yes. so. No. Yeah. Um, another thing... I think we might have a clip for this one, was talking about how blameless postmortems, like yeah. around the same time too, I started to see how blameless postmortems were, well, that, why don't you just play yeah. the clip? I think the biggest thing I realized sort of almost right after was um, was that in some ways the um, the sort of blameless postmortem stuff is, is a design process. Um, and it's a way of almost like, making a system to force everyone to be empathetic.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the, the point of the blameless postmortem is essentially to say, you know, here, listen to listen to the problem. Don't blame the user. Like try to put yourself in their shoes. Like we force they essentially force you like you can't like use you statements or, you know, like there's a lot of stuff a lot of kind of like rules of engagement. Um, and so like, it all kind of, like, started coming together. We're on the path. We're on yes. the path. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the path ends at episode 63. Yeah. Or at least the first milestone. Yeah. Um, which was the start. Some of you, if you were listeners, will remember the seven-part book club that we had for Nigel Cross's design thinking. Yeah. Um, which some liked, and some <laughs> thought was too long. Oh. <laughs>
2: I don't want to hear that. But we
1: won't, yeah. Yeah. We'll get, we'll, we'll talk about feedback later.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um,
1: yeah, so I'll play the clip here, just so you know the name of the clip.
2: Oh, and this clip also really exemplifies the podcast for people who don't listen, where it takes us a little while to like get to the point. Yes. Um, <laughs> In case you haven't
1: already figured that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the name of this file is all caps texting. All right. Oops, that's not a, what I was meant designed to do. There we go. And, and all I know is like I I got these like messages that are like. I guess you took a picture of the Kindle with your phone and then like texted me the picture. (laughs)
2: That's that is correct.
1: And so I'm like reading your photo of a Kindle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you take a screenshot of a Kindle? I feel like, I
1: don't know. I've never owned one, so I'm not sure.
2: Oh, oh, you're just like tablet all the way.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Um, so then I'm reading these, like, screen, sh- these photos, they're not screenshots, they're photos of a screen. Yeah. Um,
2: well, no, okay, photos of an e screen. Yes. I, yeah. I do have a moment of pain when I see a photo of, like, a computer screen. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then, like, I think what, what, what ensued was, like, a series of, like, all-caps exchanges between <laughs> you and me. They were like, oh my god, I can't believe, this is, like, exactly what we're talking about.
2: Exactly. Yeah. No, it was like, oh, well, this articulates... What, what we've been trying to say in, like, a few sentences versus, you know, you've written a series of long blog posts. I mean, I think those are so valuable. But,
1: but not concise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel... Like this is the moment where, uh, you know, we were talking about these... Well, this I guess it was the book's called Designly Ways of Knowing. Yeah. Uh, and um, And we... We're kind of reading it, and she's sending me photos of the book, and I'm reading the book along with her, and I'm like, "Send me the next page." And you know, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, um,
2: and it was like, so this was a book essentially about the theory of um, like academic theory around design and design work, and it was just like to us, it was this huge aha moment of like, "Oh, it's all starting to really make sense." Like, and what was making sense is that design, the way that designers work and the way that they structure the work, the way they talk about it, you could essentially like swap in the word data analysis. And it was the same thing.
1: In so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: In so many ways. Um, like the way that designers talk about getting briefs where it's like, oh, you get a design brief and then the, you don't just, as a designer, you don't just do what the person asks you. Cause that will be like a sub part. The person doesn't know what they want. Like, They have figured out some way to articulate it, but your job as a designer is to like zoom out and be like, identify what they actually need and then make the best solution about that. But like, they're going to communicate what they need via what they think the solution is. And that's the same, I mean, I think about that all the time with like, someone asks you for a number, you know? They're like, can you get me this number? And then you have to, like, as a data analyst, you have to zoom out and be like, no, okay, what what problem are you trying to solve? <laughs> Why don't you catch me up on what you're doing, and maybe I'm going to solve this in a totally different way.
1: Some of my collaborators, I think, would want me to just give them the number. I know, uh, yeah. But, uh, That's okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> they don't stay collaborators for long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounded really, like, way darker than I meant to yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just I just stopped working with them. It's not like uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: you don't want that. but, yeah. but so that was that's kind of like the end of our um, audio clips. But like essentially, we got to this place where it's like okay, data analysis is a type of essentially like either an independent thing or a type of design thinking. Where it's like the answer to the student's question is essentially like adopt this whole other way of like approaching the world that's totally different than science and we haven't like, totally, as a field, we haven't totally like, like, addressed that yeah. difference. I kind
1: of wonder about, you know, what I would have told that student now you know, more than 10 years later. Um, and uh, you know, I think the way that I kind of think about it is that when you go outside, you don't see a data analysis walking around, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't naturally occur like a tree or uh, you know, uh, what else naturally occurs? A rock, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I only know about trees. Um so if it, if it doesn't naturally occur, it has to be built by someone, or it has to be designed by someone, it has to be built. And so why shouldn't we use the same ideas there for um, yeah. a data analysis as for you might for a chair or a bridge or whatever?
2: That's a good point. Yeah, yeah and, like, I mean, same with the music, too, where, you know, like, obviously noises exist, but, like, mm-hmm. crafting the noises in a way that's, like, pleasing is, in many ways, a, even though it's art, it's also design, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And... Um, Yeah, no, it's a good way of putting it. Like, essentially, you're constructing something. And then I also think what's interesting is that whether you're building, like, a production machine learning pipeline or you're building an analysis, like, the tools are different, the types of testing you'll do is different, like, kind of, like, the technical requirements are different, but ultimately, you're doing the same thing, which is, like, you're Creating something that's going to do something for someone. Right. <laughs> like, either it's going to be a recommender system that creates recommendations for a website, or it's like this analysis that some sort of person is going to consume and make a decision based on that. Might
1: just be a PDF document? Yeah. It could be, I mean,
2: even like an email, literally, even an email yeah. with like one number in it is still you had to decide like, okay, this problem is only, this problem can be sufficiently addressed with an email and that person doesn't need much context. And therefore, if I just send them the email, that'll be enough to like convince them to do something, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that put us on a really interesting path of like, okay, so if we think that data science is like a, a type of design, then how do designers work? Like, if you look at architects, how are they trained? If you look at, you know, other designers, how do they work in companies, et cetera. Um, And so one of the things in this um, design thinking book by Nigel Cross is talking a lot about, like, you just have to do it, like, over and over. um, And you're going to get better every time you do it. You're going to go through different thought processes. But you have to Literally, like, exercise the part of your brain that does this constructive thinking rather than, like, the deductive thinking of science. So, um, it's like, okay, so in data science, we kind of don't do that apprenticeship model so much.
1: I mean, we, we I think we wish we didn't have to, I guess <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah, like, <laughs> we wish
2: we could just, like, teach the stuff and right. be done with it, because it... It's a lot of work to like go through someone's work yeah. and tell them if it's working or not, but ultimately, like if we kind of accept that this is a type of design and construction, then you need to be able to, like, practice it. Um, so we had, we did some cool stuff with that, where um, kind of like very different than. Uh, the types of challenges you do with like Kaggle and stuff where they're like, here's a data set, analyze it. Instead, it was like, okay, let's say you had to build your system end to end. Like you needed to answer some question. We did like commute times. Right, yeah,
1: we (laughs) talked about, well, your commute. Yeah, my
2: commute. So it was like in San Francisco, it's like I want to know exactly like how many minutes and the variance in those minutes um, for different commute methods so I can know like the last possible minute that I can leave my apartment <laughs> yeah. to make it to a meeting. And um, so it's like, okay, how would you solve that? Like, what, how would you ta- get the data to solve that problem? How would you store it? How would you access it? How would you analyze it? How would then, you display it? And then how would
1: you model it? What are the fixed effects? What are the random effects? Exactly, you know, yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it's amazing how just a simple kind of formulation of a problem can bring in every single aspect Of design, of analysis, you know, presentation, communication. Yeah, exactly. Like,
2: you're doing the whole thing. And what I like about it, too, is that, like, the things like how you store the data is sort of on the same par as, like, what models you choose. Mm -hmm. Like, all of those things are equal. You have to end up spending time on all of it instead of... I feel like as a field and what I like about this conference is that less so here but as a field we focus so much just on the methods and that really bothers me <laughs> in case that hasn't been clear <laughs> um and I was actually I was talking with someone last night about that where I'm like you know in some ways like the way that, like, normal data science conference are um, structured, it's, like, everyone wants to talk about, like, the like the best method, like, the latest thing. And literally, in that system, you're motivated to have bad data because it, like, gives you more opportunity to do fancier models. And so, like, like, any system where it's, like, oh, okay, like, this person could work on worse and worse data and be, like, equally happy because they get to do, like, all these fancy things they learned at this conference is, like, that's not solving the problem. Like, that's, that's, like, choosing not to solve the problem. Yeah. So by focusing on the whole thing, it's like, no, okay, like, can you hone in on exactly what data you need, rather than just, like, making do with what might be, like, fa- has fallen into your lap one way or another.
1: I think one of the hardest things to do in, in general, but and in, in also in data science, is to is to kind of uh, pull back from trying to maximize in a single, direc- a single dimension. Yeah. Right? And I think... and I, I, to me, the way I interpreted even, you know, JJ's talk is like in their, the the way that corporations are structured is they maximize on a certain one dimension. Yeah. Um, and I think it's hard. That can end up with some good and then some bad. And I think in data science, it's very tempting to kind of go for the optimal approach, go for the optimal method, go for the, you know, the best prediction. But there are other elements, as other stakeholders, or other trade-offs to be made.
2: I really like that because in the second talk, like she just touched it briefly at the end, but it was like, what are UX problems and what are designer problems? And then the one that was like, this is actually a design problem was the loss function. Like, it seems like it's just a data science problem, but that's actually like the core user experience is what loss function you use and like what system are you actually building? And what I like about that is that, it's like the same with the corporation thing. It's like, what was the loss function like before right. versus that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like change the KPIs, basically. Like, yeah. I don't know. K- KPI, key performance indicator. I don't like, deal with KPIs. What? I don't deal with KPIs. Yeah, you don't deal with KPIs. Not yet, at least. I, um, <laughs> Yeah, like the way I've been talking about that at Stitch Fix is like, yeah, how do we, rather than just like, optimizing for sales, like, how can we construct new KPIs that, like, might lead to different user experiences? Yeah.
1: Part of me, I feel like it'd be great if we could move to a place where instead of saying, this is the best thing, we could say, you know, I really appreciate this set of trade-offs.
2: Yeah. 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 So, I like that. I
1: don't know. But it doesn't quite it doesn't sound as nice, I guess.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I think it sounds... okay. Anyway. Well, you're, I know uh... I have one person with me here. <laughs> Um, One other thing that kind of like the end of this timeline, this has just been briefly, but like essentially by getting to this place, now it opens up like a whole nother set of um, fields to look into, which is everything around creativity. So, like, like all of... Like, the book I'm mentioning, that we're mentioning here, is called The Creative Curve. Um, and we had, like, a one-episode uh, book club on that. our lesson. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was actually about to suggest that we should do more. Okay. I was like, let's retroactively go back and do, like, three episodes on that one. Anyway. Um, but the, the idea with that was that it was someone, this guy, Alan Gannett, who, like, essentially empirically studied creative people. Um, and how they operate. Uh, And I thought it was awesome. I mean, I really liked it. It really made me feel like, oh, I can apply these principles to my data science work. Um, And the principles were, let's make sure we, did I I write, I don't think I did ever write them Consumption. Yeah, so there was consumption. So creative people will frequent, like, People who, well, this is why I'm confused with you. So, like, people who are, like, engaged in movie making, they watch movies, like, 20% of the time. Like, right. <laughs> you're not like that for whatever reason. That's, like, a different story. <laughs> but, like, you know, you look at, like, just, again, from, like, empirically looking at people who are in these creative fields... Um, consuming other people's work is a big part of it and like you digest it you think about it um and like you iterate on it
1: and I think that that aspect I mean if you if you want to write you read a lot of books if you you know yeah if you want to write music you listen to a lot of music and one of the aspects that's difficult about data analysis is that always easy to read a lot of data analyses yeah. because we don't they're not out there yeah especially
2: even. in the corporate world like data yeah. science specifically like You can read, if you have a big team, you can read what other people are doing, but otherwise, like, basically only at conferences. Or
1: David Robinson's live stream. Yeah. 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 So, it's hard to consume a lot of data analysis, I think is what it comes down to, and I think that's a key step to becoming expert in something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: a great point, yeah. Iteration? Iteration, yeah, so... Is there imitation too? Iteration. Iteration. Yeah. yeah. So iteration is this idea that you just like keep going. Like you keep trying things, you do it over and over. Um, and again, that kind of is touched in the design literature too, where it's just like you gotta keep you gotta keep doing things. Yeah. And ideas are gonna evolve over time. Um, and that's part of why we wanted to go through those clips and put up this timeline is that even like the creativity that we got from this podcast that I totally wasn't expecting. Right. Like, it took us four years. Like, this timeline is over, like, four, yeah. over four Time years. Timeline's not to scale. Yeah, definitely not to scale. And so it just, it's, like, the number of ways that we attacked this problem and thought about it was, like, a lot. And it, it, never, it never felt like it was work necessarily. It right. was just, like, iterating and yeah. going on.
1: And then there's the community.
2: Yeah, so the community one, another one is like creative communities. And so you look at artists and like um, Andy Warhol, right, had like the factory, I think, and where it was just like a bunch of artists in a loft, you know, like painting, giving feedback, everything. And so with that, essentially it's like surrounding yourself with other creative people helps you be creative. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, I feel like my um, sitcom, like happy ending here, it's like, Coming to conferences like this, you know, they're fun, they're energizing, and I do think they kind of embody this this creative community, especially because so many people are isolated as data scientists. Like, not every company has, like, 100 data scientists. Most companies don't. And so being able to, like, get together and bounce ideas off and see what other people are doing, like, like I guess what I'm trying to say is that is the work. Like, it's not like this isn't... Productive, right. if that makes sense. I,
1: if there was one agenda item for the, for starting the podcast. that I think it, part of it was to produce kind of that community for people who may be sitting in a department somewhere or in a company somewhere by themselves. They're forced to be the, the lone data analyst and yeah. they don't have anyone to talk to or they don't have the ability to kind of hear what other people are working on and how they're approaching it and things like that. So,
2: Yeah, and that's actually, that's like, some of the most meaningful feedback i hear is when people are like oh yeah i'm like i'm like alone and it's like really nice to be able to hear how other people are working it's just like yeah that makes me feel really good so. yeah.
1: and then feedback
2: feedback yeah <laughs> so feedback and this one is is definitely hard where like a, a big part of in this kind of creative curve book and just in general with design, like, you you actively are soliciting user feedback all the time, right? And that's a huge part of it. And you cannot be attached to what you've produced, essentially. Like, you have to let the users tell you what to do. And I think that that is, like, extremely hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, getting feedback is hard. Yeah. And, um... Definitely not something that people are trained to do, right? No. Yeah. Um, and so and then I feel like I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's just curmudgeonly because I'm in like I see it the most, but like I feel like especially in like academic stats and in data science in general, like like people do take it really personally. Like there's that quote that I kinda hate where it's like photographers and statisticians both fall in love with their models. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad like but it it makes the point that yeah. like, <laughs> like you see people like really dig their heels in and they and it's like it, it just it gets personal yep. and what I like is that at least with the user t- like I think in the design field there's a lot more focus on that f- on that like accepting feedback um and then also I mean another thing kind of like personal Hillary's like personal corner of like the one thing that did the one thing I did not expect from starting this kind of meditation practice and going down that path is that it genuinely made me better at getting like empathy and getting feedback because essentially like the whole practice, the whole idea is like dissociating yourself from who you think you are. So like it allows you to not feel personally threatened if someone challenged, like people take stuff personally when it's like your whole identity is that you're a statistician and you're smart, right? And then if someone says your model is wrong it's like oh no i'm not smart anymore my whole identity is like gone and then you're like defensive right and so like figuring out ways and for me like meditation and but like just figuring out ways to like detach yourself from that makes you able to take feedback and then that actually makes you better at the thing so it's kind of like a paradox
1: but it's not like a magical thing it's something that can be practiced
2: exactly so yeah like the thing the thing about the meditation practice that was a big paradigm shift for me was that these things aren't just like fixed properties it's not just like oh this person's good at getting feedback or this person has a thick skin and like that's a set character trait and mine is not and that's done it's like no there are ways to like to essentially engage in practice that makes you more robust to that and and like you know, again, like, looking at kind of, like, the neuroscience and Buddhism stuff, it's, like, you know, you can, you're, you have, like, neuroplasticity and you can, like, make new neural pathways that, like, make this stuff, like, it's not just, like, oh, yeah, like, I swear, like, there there are ways that you can, like, essentially change your brain um, and, actually, the design, the design, the Nigel Cross stuff goes into that of, like, you know, you look at people who are cab drivers and, like, their spatial regions of their brains are, like, much more developed, right. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, like, Doing creative work is hard, and it's very different than doing scientific work mm-hmm. and it's also what we're doing. Right. And there are ways to get good at it. You know yeah. like there's ways to practice it, there's ways to get good. Like doing this whole podcast, you know it's like being okay with like iterating and showing things that will be wrong in the future is like it's, it's okay, and actually it'll make you better. Um, and that's kind of why I feel like I've wanted to talk so much about the design thinking is because I want people to feel empowered to engage in that part of honing their craft um, in, and not feeling intimidated by it. Like, I think probably a lot of people in this room, like, don't think they're creative. Like, I didn't think I was creative. And, and I don't think that, like, I... Yeah, it's just, like, identity. It's like, I'm a scientist. Yep. Hillary does science, math and science. And... I want people to go through that same process I went through of, like, opening up that side of myself and being like, oh, like, this stuff all makes me better at this work and it's more fun because of it. And, like, you can do it, too. Like, anyone can do it. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway, that was, like, sitcom ending. There you go. Yeah.
1: Except that we do have one piece. We
2: have one more. Yeah. So, that was, like, big recurring theme. We have one more recurring theme that we are not open to feedback on.
1: That's right. So um, we have one piece of... This is the only data in our whole... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you didn't make this
2: an R, right? So we do have R in this talk. Uh, there is R, yeah. Yeah.
1: This is a GG plot, actually. So yeah. we have one more clip. <laughs> now we're bringing tea time to the internet, right? So
2: Exactly. <laughs> I, do, I don't actually have tea today, though. But I've also gotten into coffee now, so... No!
1: Cool.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, maybe I'll bring it'll be coffee time. Nah,
1: <laughs> that doesn't sound that right.
2: <laughs>
1: so, uh
2: So yeah, lead up to that was that this podcast in part was we I went to grad school where Roger was a professor and we had this tea time thing and that's we had all these conversations, enjoyed them. Yeah. And then it was like, "Oh no, I'm into coffee." Yes,
1: yeah, so we we can no longer have tea time. Yeah. This is uh, this is where Hillary switches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it really ex- is. <laughs>
2: it really was post grad school because this yes. is a long rant. But like, <laughs> you
1: have the most
2: <laughs> most of my life, I had bad coffee. Okay. Like, it, yes. like I think we all. Yeah. Someone was from another. The the, um, the guy from Australia was like talking about how it's like an experience yeah. to have like bad diner coffee. That's it's right. like oh, you come to America, you have like burnt diner coffee. It's like it's like so bad it's good. Only in America. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh,
1: so let me just explain. On the x axis is episode number. On the y axis is number of mentions of the word coffee.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's good to have transcripts. So yeah. thank you, Stringer Package. Um, <laughs> So Hillary switches to tea to coffee. This is in episode 36 is where I say people shouldn't talk about drinking things on podcasts. Yeah,
2: like you go on a kind of long rant about listening to other podcasts and the fact that they're like talking about the bourbon they drink. That's right. And you were like, that doesn't belong on a podcast. Like you were harsh. Because I thought you were saying people shouldn't actively be drinking alcohol on a yeah. podcast. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, talking about the bourbon. Yeah.
1: It's really annoying. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, so since then. It, you know, we can't say cause and effect here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the number of instances has gone up. It
2: has gone now. up, yeah. But uh, yeah.
1: So. literally. This will be the hill we die on, though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the last piece of follow-up is that I, based on feedback, I was open to it. I got this mocha pot to make coffee, That's right. and I literally couldn't give it away. Like, we had a whole episode right. about, like, if anyone here wanted it, like, I'm willing to give it away, and no one emailed That's us. That's right. No one wants the mocha No pod. one wants the mocha pod. So. Yeah. So. And then last night, we got some more feedback about a new device. That's right. Try, episode so. 102. Yeah.
1: We'll talk about. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. So if you
2: don't like coffee, like, don't talk to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's like, <laughs> we're going to keep on going, yeah. but yeah, so... Anyway, actually, you know, I did have a tie-in for this. I was thinking about it where, like, to the Soulcraft um, shop class as Soulcraft, where it's kind of like you just have to do stuff. Like, I, I started making coffee, and then I want to talk about it more. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, the more that you do something, like, you can kind of fall in love with anything, and you just have to do it a bunch, yeah. and you start to care about it. So, again, it's like the, to the creativity, it's like just, just start trying, and you'll start to like it more. And you'll start to feel more empowered to talk about it. And then you'll bother everyone around you yeah. <laughs> by talking about it way too much. And then uh, and then you'll
1: do a keynote at our studio. Con. And then you'll yeah. do a keynote
2: on it. Yeah.
1: So. Anyway, so that's our episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to RStudioCon for having us here.